A thrill of hope. I love Christmas time. It's one of the, my, my, probably my most favorite uh, holiday seasons of the year, just because of all the Bible stories about it and just my background and my culture and the way I've experienced it in my whole life. I just, I just love it. And I love the idea of hope at Christmas because, you know, when you're a kid, it's totally different in that, you know, in my family at least, uh, we would like make a list of our toys that we wanted for Christmas or whatever we wanted for Christmas. And then generally they'd make us pick one and, and then we generally got that one present for Christmas. And it was awesome, you know, like we were all stoked and we'd rip open our packages on Christmas morning and play with our toys and it was, it was just great. And don't you wish it was always like that <laughs> at Christmas? <laughs> I mean, as parents or grandparents or great-grandparents, I am going to be a great-grandparent, by the way, for the first time in April. I'm super stoked. My grandson, Jacob, and his wife, Taylor, are going to have a baby. And I'm just super happy about that. But, uh, I, you know, it, it's like that when you're a kid, oftentimes. And then you grow up, and you see that oftentimes there is this kind of radical tension that comes not only with Christmas, uh, but around the general idea of hope itself, because things just don't happen necessarily the way I want them to happen. My prayers don't get answered the exactly way, the way I think they ought to be answered, and things don't happen in the way I think they should happen in my life and in people's lives that I'm praying for and working hard for and trying to help. And I have this one guy in my life that I've been mentoring for the past several months. His name's Jordan. And he has an incredible story that I asked him to write and that I could share with you guys this weekend. And it's his story about suffering. Uh, so it's a pretty, uh, pretty gnarly story. Uh, Jordan's about 30. So this has uh, been going on for years. Let me read it for you. He's a very good writer, by the way. Um, Anyway, looking back, I suppose it's fitting that the start to this biblical valley would be one born at the bottom of a very real mountain path in Washington state. It was the end of a five-mile hike with my now wife, Steph. Uh, they were just dating it back in those days. But with his now wife, Steph, uh, when I looked at her pale face, a, a cold sweat forming at my brow, my lungs gasping for a deep breath and a pain in my ribs that can only be described as though my rib cage was shrinking inward, compressing every organ along the way. Through the years, pain would make its physical presence known. Notice through the years. Its physical presence known through muscle spasms, arthritis, muscle aches, rashes, headaches, and crippling muscle weakness. I'll never forget the look on the first graders' faces the first day I was forced to come to work using a cane. Uh, Jordan is a special needs uh, teacher at Elevate, actually, uh, one of the great schools in our San Diego City area. But he's forced to use a cane. In fact, when Jordan first started coming to the OB campus where he goes, uh, he, was, uh, he was using a cane. And I had, I've known him for many years, and I'd, I just was shocked at who he was now physically. He looked very, very different than the Jordan and I knew. His dad and I have been friends forever, since Jordan was a boy. Anyway, the problem with pain is that it doesn't just end the, at the physical. It, is, it very quickly turns into something much more sinister, disappointment. See, disappointment does something nothing else can do. It gathers your hope and crushes it entirely. Something I became intimately familiar with. Each new appointment with a medical specialist would very quickly become my last with that specialist as each one determined that I was in the best shape of my life. 
Each new lab test showed that the specialist who ordered the test was probably right. Each new MRI, CT scan, x-ray, ultrasound, and biopsy would further give credit to the claim that there was nothing wrong with me. It can be difficult to endure a condition when the experts in the field claim that you are, uh, your enduring is all in your head. Disappointment leads to fights, deteriorating relationships, anger, frustration, loss of income, and a host of other issues. Disappointment becomes a mental prison, enshrouding your every thought in a haze of ever-enveloping darkness. And again, this went on for years, this story in Jordan's life, and maybe in your life. Maybe there's something in your life that you've been hoping for, praying about, and it just hasn't happened. In fact, I have this question for you, that, and I would encourage you to write this down. Write something down uh, on a piece of paper, somewhere, somewhere that you can take it and put it in a place that you're going to visit often, and let this be a part of your spiritual journey through Christmas. At the Ocean Beach, uh, Ocean Beach campus, where I'm going to speak this weekend, we're going to use little three-by-five cards, and I encourage everybody to take them home and put it on their mirror where they do their makeup or their hair <laughs> or, or whatever, and so where they'll see it on a day-to-day -day basis and kind of bring it back before God on a regular basis. So something that you're waiting on God for. Something you're waiting on God for. Jordan obviously is waiting for some diagnosis some miracle of healing at this point. What are you waiting for? What are you hoping for? What is going on in your life? And that's the question that we're going to really get at this weekend through this amazing Bible story that we're going to be in. By the way, you can begin to turn on your devices to uh, Luke chapter 1. That's where we're going to be. But how do we bridge the gap? How do we bridge the gap between my experience, my expectations? How do I bridge the gap between what's happening in my life right now and what I want to happen? Kind of like as a kid waiting for Christmas for the toy that may or may not ever come. But certainly as adults, we run into this over and over again in our careers. Many of you are wanting something else as a career or wanting some kind of promotion, some kind of shift with your kids maybe. You're struggling with where they are right now versus where you thought they would be. Maybe the same thing is true of your marriage. Maybe the same thing is true of where you are geographically. I don't know. I just want you to write it down. Write it down. What is the thing you're hoping for? Now, how do we bridge that gap? So we're going to go to Luke chapter 1, the beginning of Luke's gospel, uh, written by Luke to Theophilus, and he's, he's writing to explain the story of God. And he begins here in this story that we're going to look at. And this comes on the heels of what, for the Jews, is, was often referred to the, as the 400 years of silence. It's not really like there was total silence. It's just that we are in the gospel. We are in the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew actually, but Luke's, right, in the synoptics, all the way from Malachi, the last prophet of the Old Testament, to today. But all kinds of things have happened. Those of you who know history, like for example, you know that the whole uh, Greek invasion of, and conquest of the world happened. Uh, and, you know, Alexander the Great, which is how Greek became the lingua franca of the world, pretty much, for, as a result of his influence. And then Hellenization happened. And all of these amazing things happened during the this 400 years. You had the whole Maccabean revolt. You had all kinds of stuff happen. And uh, hope is such a great biblical word. Uh, it's actually tikvah in Hebrew. Uh, say that with me. I know you're online, but say it. tikvah, tikvah. 
that's Hebrew for hope, and elpis is the Greek word for hope. Uh, so in the Greek version of the Old Testament, it would be the word elpis, and, and uh, if in, in Hebrew, it would be uh, tikva. But it was a great biblical word in the Bible that doesn't mean exactly the same we use it, Like, I hope I'm going to get this for Christmas. That's not exactly the word. The word is actually closer to, like, faith and uh, how, how faith works in our lives and how we can build on these hopes that we have. Okay, so let's read for a little bit. Uh, Luke chapter 1. This is a great section of scripture. In the time of Herod, the king of Judea, now this is Herod the Great. Herod the Great rules from 37 AD to 4 BC, okay? And he was a non-Jew, a king put there by the Roman Empire to rule in the days of, you know, the last little section of Old Testament history, if you will. And he uh, was the one who remodeled Zerubbabel's temple. He's the one who, you know, often you hear the temple that is in Jesus' day referred to as Herod's temple. This is why uh, it's really not Herod's temple. He did a fantastic remodel job on it, which he was kind of known for. But he was, a, he was really a very evil king. Of course, he was the one who ultimately later on in the account calls for the, the uh, Bethlehem genocide where all of the babies under two are murdered because he wants to annihilate this Messiah that's coming. But that's a little bit ahead of this story. Anyway, there's this king of Judah, uh, Judea. Then there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. So right there, it's hard to understand maybe, but these are like, uh, you know, these two are like, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth are kind of like pastor's kids of multiple, multiple generations, descending all the way from Aaron. And Aaron was, in case you don't know, Aaron was the priest like in 1350, around roughly that time. So they were in the priesthood for that long of a length of time, which is really an incredible kind of experience in their family. You could only imagine that kind of spiritual depth that would be there. I did not grow up a Christ follower, and so for me, the first time I ever experienced that was at Point Lemon Nazarene University here in San Diego where I did my undergrad and I met for the very first time people, young people like I was and they were the kids and grandkids and great grandkids of pastors and missionaries. It was really incredible meeting them and seeing the depth of their life because uh, one of the things that God has for you, by the way, from a discipleship perspective is, is remember, you're not just a Christ follower. You're not just saved for you. You're saved to be an influence, right? To change the world, our vision statement, right? You're, 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 you're saved to transform the world and including your familial world. And so God's goal for you in life, if you have children, if that's his will, that you would impact those children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren and you would get multi-generational faith. This is the will of God for you, okay? This is the will of God. And even if you don't have children of your own, biological children, you're impacting in the church. You're, you're, you're filtering out into the children that are in your sphere of influence. This is a very, very biblical idea. comes from everywhere in the scripture, not the least of which is um, Deuteronomy chapter chapter 6. So, anyway, verse 6. Both of them were righteous, so both Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the commands and decrees blamelessly. And again, this is this generational kind of character and depth that they have. Now, this does not mean that they're perfect. They sin, but they're committed, okay? They're very committed people. 
There is only one who never sinned. Who's that? That's right. It's Jesus. Only he. Not you. Not me. We will struggle with that our whole lives. But the goal is that we become more like Christ as we grow and go. Anyway, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. Uh, And that is a kind of... uh, horrible situation in their cultural context. I'll talk more about that in a minute. And, and then it says, and they were both very old. So they were probably my age. <laughs> maybe, maybe not quite as old as me, but you know, they were old. Um, but the point there is that there's no hope. Time is up for them. There's no hope. The hope's been crushed. And they figured they're going to die this way, Right? It'd be kind of like uh, have an illness that, you know, you hope and pray you're going to get through, but it in fact becomes the last chapter of your life, which is ultimately obviously in the hands of God. Anyway, once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot as basically the throwing of dice, essentially, according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Now, this is a -a once-in-a-lifetime event for Zechariah. It only happened one time in his life. Uh, In fact, at his time, there were, it's said that there were 18,000 priests in the Holy Land. And so, in all of the stratification of the priesthood, you would only get to do this one time in your whole life. So, this is like a huge deal. Anyway, and it says, and when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So, going back to this question, how do we bridge this gap between, you know, our expectations and our reality? The thing that really jumps off of the story, I'm sure you know you saw it in the reading, is that they remained faithful in the waiting. You and I remain faithful in the waiting. We remain faithful to God in our context, faithful to his church, faithful to his kingdom, building his kingdom our whole lives long. We lay our lives down for others, and that's our whole life long. We remain faithful. That's why both of them are righteous in the sight of God, observing all of the commands. And again, this doesn't mean they're perfect, but their basic way is toward God. But they were childless. And again, if I could unpack that a bit for you, being childless in, the, in many of the cultures and, frankly, in the ancient world, um, it was considered kind of like a curse. Now, this is not a biblical idea. All barrenness in Scripture is not because God has judged you or cursing you or something like that, but it was very much a part of the culture. And so this huge peer pressure, I guess, and even self-imposed pressure to have babies. And now, of course, she's, you know, Elizabeth's way past childbearing age. So, you know, the, the hope's been squashed out of her. This is like in Jordan's story. He had to remain faithful in the days of his suffering. And that those days turned into weeks and months months and years and endless doctor appointments, endless doctor appointments. And I know a lot of what that's like. You're, you know, you're just constantly in and through those environments. And for Jordan, that was extremely painful because every time he went, no one could figure out what was wrong with him. And in fact, eventually they thought you just have some sort of psychosomatic thing. This is all in your head, you know, and you know, then of course, then for Jordan, that becomes terribly self-shaming now and, you know, a kind of other shaming and, and so forth. So to stay faithful to God. And he struggled with that, just like you and I do. But the challenge for us is, 
The challenge for us is we have to stay faithful, faithful in prayer, faithful in you know, church life, faithful in our life groups, faithful in our ministries and our outreaches. We have to stay faithful in our marriages and in our, the way we view our street and the way we tell our stories at work and the way we disciple people no matter what. And quite frankly, remember your story is your secret power. Your story is your superpower. It's, it's your story is the, the way God has interfaced with your life, like my life, that story, those micro stories and the entire narrative, that's how you disciple people. You tell them the stories of faith. This is why your stories are so, so important. But we must stay faithful. Now let's continue reading. We're going to read verses 11 through 17. Such a great story. <laughs> I love speaking on it. I haven't done it in a long time. Anyway. <laughs> So the stories. So it says, once when Zechariah's division was on duty, uh, by the way, Zechariah's name means the Lord remembers. The Lord remembers. So once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he again was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And burn incense. Uh, Anyway, so then it says, And when the time for the burning of the incense came, this would happen, by the way, every day at 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. Every day at 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. this would happen. Uh, When the time for the burning of incense came, all of the assembled worshipers were praying outside, okay? And and this is a beautiful picture here. By the way, I don't have time to go into all of it, but if you write down Exodus 29, 38, uh, this is where the beginning of this uh, practice, if you will, came. And this is called the perpetual offering. The perpetual offering. And this is the time every day uh, in a Jewish world when people recognize their sin and need for forgiveness. Their, their, Their sin and their need for forgiveness. And the beautiful thing is that in this story right here, after these 400 years, this is a story about the coming of John the Baptist. And this is a story about the coming of the Messiah. And so the one who is actually all the symbolism of the Old Testament and the ceremonial system, he's actually doing this ceremony and it's, he's about to experience that this is the turning of the page, which is crazy. <laughs> crazy. Uh, The forerunner, John, is coming. Then, verse 11, Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing uh, at the right side of the altar of incense. So imagine, he's doing this, and then this angel appears. That would freak me right out. Uh, When Zechariah saw him, he was startled, of course, and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, and this is classic, a lot of times when the angel of the Lord's appear uh, in the Old Testament period, uh, sometimes they in fact were pre-incarnate appearances of Jesus. You can kind of look that up. Uh, theophany, I believe it's called. Uh, and, so, and, and sometimes there's just angels and, you know, like there's two named angels in the Bible. One of them's here. His name's Gabriel. And the other one's name is what? That's right, Michael. Just thought I'd throw that out. Uh, anyway, <laughs> the angel says, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. See, let that into you right now. The angel's saying to Zechariah, Choose faith right now, Zechariah, not fear. He's saying to you and I, Choose faith, Jordan. Choose faith, Mike. Choose faith, not fear. It's hard, though. Takes exercise. Remember, faith is a muscle. It grows as you use it, as you exercise it. Faith is like a a dynamic in our lives. We grow in our faith. Anyway, 
He says, be, don't be afraid. Your, your wife, Elizabeth, which, by the way, her name means the Lord's promise. Sounds so beautiful, right? Uh, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John, which means God is gracious, by the way. So you're going to have a baby. You're going to name him God is gracious. <laughs> oh, man. So awesome how God speaks life into dead places, right? Into a, into a place where there was no hope. God brings hope. He's doing that for you right now. He's doing that for all of us. He just said, this is the day that the change in history comes. This is the day of miracles. Anyway, he'll be a joy and delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth. Uh, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take, this is interesting, he's never to take wine or other fermented drink. This is the Nazarite vow in the Old Testament. Certain people would be called to take on a Nazarite vow for a period of time. There's different conditions uh, that are involved in the Nazarite vow. You, you can uh, Google it. And it's, it's kind of interesting in the way it works. But there are many dimensions to it. And it kind of depends on where you look at it in history. Uh, so you can go to ChatGPT or whatever and look it up. It's, it's very cool. Anyway, and this also is very different. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. So this is, um, I don't know if you're familiar, but in, you know, we just finished this series in the Holy Spirit, but in the Old Testament period, primarily the Holy Spirit would come upon prophets, priests, and kings. Now sometimes others, and that's a whole other subject, and, and he would come upon them for a, a task or a word or whatever is going on. Uh, and, and so it wasn't the same dynamic where in the New Testament the Holy Spirit is within us and we have this dynamic relationship with him. So I sort of see John's experience Experience as a bridge, a bridge of covenants. It's very, very fascinating from a Holy Spirit perspective. Anyway, he'll bring back people of Israel, the people of Israel to their Lord, their God. So John brings back the backsliders. He brings back those that have kind of backslidden, kind of fallen back in their faith. And maybe that's you right now. Maybe you come to this Christmas season and part of what's been happening is you haven't been very faithful in what you're hoping for. And you're getting worn out and getting deep, beat down spiritually and stuff. My prayer for you, we're going to pray at the end, but my prayer for you is that through this series, that, and don't please try to watch every single message, in this series that you, you experience the power and the presence of God again. That he comes back in your life in a real visceral, life-changing way. That this isn't just going to be a Christmas season, like, you know, with bells and songs and whatever. It's going to be a spiritual renewal in your life. That's my, prayer. That's my prayer for all of New Break. That's my prayer for all of our efforts around the world. That's God's will for this season. Anyway, he'll go beyond before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah, one of the great prophets from the Old Testament, and turn the hearts of the, listen to this, the hearts of the parents to their children, because there's been this neglect, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So John is like a giant answer to prayer, not just in the way Zechariah and, and Elizabeth were praying for it, but he's a radical, radical uh, alteration of history. This is the beginning of the New Testament. This is the beginning of the work of God in a unique way that's never been before in the history of the world. And one of the things that's super important for these two to learn and for us to learn is we have to listen. We have to listen to God in these times. God is always speaking. The problem is I'm not always listening. 
I'm thinking too much. I don't know what your Enneagram type is, but like in my Enneagram type, I can be like, you know, um, scattered all over the place and have all this, sometimes like a, they call it a committee of voices in your head, whatever. <laughs> but I have to it's like slow my brain down, if you will, and listen. That's what the angel's doing. But the angel of the Lord said to him, don't be afraid, Mike. Don't be afraid, Jordan. Put your name there. Your prayer has been heard. Now, that's unique, right? God hears all our prayers. It's not like he, like, pray and he doesn't hear it or something like that. He hears all of our prayers. What does the angel mean? The angel means, oh, he's heard it. And here's the answer. <laughs> and that's why it's kind of a crazy answer because they're way, way beyond childbearing age. I mean, imagine being my age and a woman and having a baby. Everybody say, ow. <laughs> so that he says, your wife Elizabeth is going to bear you a son and you're going to name him John, which is very unusual in a Jewish culture. He would always bear the name of his father or his grandfather or whatever. So what are ways that you guys hear from God? What are ways that we hear from God? Now, obviously angels, right? Uh, now, I've never had that experience, but others have. And it's, I wish I, that'd be super cool to have an angel actually appear and say something to me. I would also probably be a Afraid, and he'd also have to say unto me what they often say in the Bible, don't be afraid. But these are ways. Now, these are just a listing of ways. It's not necessarily all inclusive. I just thought I'd give you some practical things, ways for you to, you know, hear from God. And remember this. We just finished the series on the Holy Spirit. We talked about spiritual gifts. And you saw in that series that, you know, people's gifts and the way, you know, they work in our lives, you can hear from God via these things. Words of knowledge, words of wisdom, and so forth. All of our spiritual gifts and how we exercise them. And when you exercise your spiritual gifts, your tendency is to hear the voice of God more. Uh, that's why when we walk in faith, God gives us more revelation. He helps us understand more. Uh, if you're taking notes, you can write down John 14, 21. Uh, that's a great verse on that. But then scripture, obviously, scripture is the word of God. It is the word of God. We have the powerful tools like version today, where we have, I don't know, 50 or 100 translations on there. So you can study the word of God with all the different uh, translations, which is always good when you're reading the Word of God. Don't necessarily always read it in one translation, especially if you're studying. Uh, but then I put open doors. Now, you have to be careful of open doors. Open doors can sometimes be given too much weight. By the way, it's important when you're listening for the Word of God and the will of God in your life to uh, bring, you know, together lots of these ideas. By open doors, I mean, like, let's say you're hunting for a job and uh, you you have a, an offer come. Now, generally, when we do that, we think, oh, by definition, the offer is the will of God, which is not necessarily true, which is why you need wise Christians in your lives so that they can help you think these things through. What's the advantages of moving? What, do you think it's a missional opportunity? Is that, you know, what are you doing it for? Is it just more money, whatever? And your wise Christian friends will help you back off from sheer, you know, material pursuit of things and, and have a more spiritual reality, all right? Uh, and then meditating on scripture and meditating in general, a great way to listen to God. And, and then journaling. Uh, my wife is an amazing journaler. She just writes, writes, writes everything. I'm horrible at it. <laughs> but I have my own way of tracking prayers and stuff like that. But journaling, I've done it and it can be a great way to do it. Worship, obviously. Uh, every weekend in the worship services and all through the week, you know, putting on 
worship music and worshiping God like on a regular basis is a great way uh, to hear from God. <laughs> it's kind of funny because this morning I was in the shower and I uh, was I was done and I was toweling down and I was literally singing this song that I was making up in my head uh, about God's faithfulness. And so I was singing, God, you're so faithful. And I not a singer, but anyway, I was toweling off. And then I have this step in my towel, and it's tile, and there's a metal ridge on the edge of it, and I put my foot up there to, like, dry my leg and stuff. And so I'm singing this song, God, you're so faithful, you're so awesome. And I went to put my foot up, and I missed, and I smacked my second toe into that steel, and it totally hurt. And I went, oh, oh, oh. And you know what my first thought was? I was like, God, I'm, like, worshiping you right now. Why is this? <laughs> and then he reminded me in the next second that just because you're worshiping doesn't mean everything's going to go your way. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> fasting. Many, many of us have been fasting uh, for a long time, actually, uh, regarding, uh, you know, new break and all the stuff we're going through is awesome, amazing stuff. And, and then prayer, obviously. All these are ways we hear from God. We have to listen. Listen. Have people in your life. Have people in your life that are close to you, that can speak into you. Wise Christian people, by the way, who are men and women of God, who are going to speak into you the words of God, the revelation of God, send you verses, whatever. Now let's continue reading the story. Look at verse 18. This is such a great section of this story. So Zechariah says to the angel, <laughs> this is really funny actually, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. He's trying to be polite, right, to the angel. <laughs> She's also old. Now, uh-oh. Everybody say, uh-oh. So he's saying, how can I be sure, right? I want to be certain. I'm an old man now. How in the world is this going to work? And then verse 19 says, the angel said, I am Gabriel. Ooh. I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. And it is he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Listen, here's just a little piece of wisdom. Be careful of what you ask for from God. If you want a sign, sometimes he'll give you a sign, but it won't be in the way that you exactly expect. <laughs> so be careful. Verse 21. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary. Remember, they're worshiping outside. Wondering why he's taking so long. Finally, when he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. He's mute now, right? Then they realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. And then verse 23, when Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. And soon after, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. Isn't that amazing? And then verse 25, how kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. 
He's taking away my disgrace of having no children. Now, this is, a, again, a cultural commentary, very much a reality, which you and I have, by the way. We have all kinds of uh, stinking thinking that are really just cultural things in our heads that shame us and blame us and do all this weird stuff. Ants, um, Teresa, my wife calls them ants, automatic negative thoughts um, that circulate in our heads. And so she's gone to this whole thing that, that she's barren and she's cursed, but now she's not, which is, it's great, but it's way more than that. She is about to have John the baptizer, the one who will baptize Jesus, the one who will be the forerunner, the one who will be the kind of precursor in the spirit of Elijah, of the Messiah, his cousin. That's why God, you have to remember this, when you're struggling with these expectations, God is always up to something even when I can't see it, even when I cannot see it. And that's particularly true. It's the time between the times. For 400 years, they have not seen it. Many, many generations, they have not seen it. It's a radical turning of the page. And that's the thing. We have to remain faithful and remain listening no matter what. I want to show you a verse from, from Paul's writings the Apostle Paul, who many, many years later would become a Christ follower and then one of the great church planters of biblical history. The Apostle Paul, who forms uh, missionary bands and goes all around the Turkey today, uh, Asia Minor in those days, uh, Europe, brings the gospel to Europe, all that stuff. And he's writing actually to the church in Corinth when he says this to them. Pay attention to this. This is super crucial. In some ways, I'd never quite seen it like this before. Uh, this past week or two I was studying, but... It says this, Paul speaking, we are pressed on every side by troubles. Huh. So even the church planter, the apostle, who's given his life to Christ many years later, he has been pressed on every side by troubles. Yes. Often when you follow the ways of God and there's troubles, you can kind of know that's one of the evidences oftentimes that you are in the will of God. I know it's like a switch flip of our thinking, but it's just true. Like when you're taking steps of faith, there's going to be, you know, pushback from the enemy in your life. When you, when you step into a, a new arena of faith in your work or in your personal life or whatever, uh, that automatically uh, triggers spiritual warfare in your life. The enemy, one of the favorite things that Satan loves is inactive Christians. Those who stop stepping out in faith. Those who are not taking on new responsibility in the kingdom. Those who are on the sidelines when they should be on the playing field. They should be running the race with perseverance that's marked out before them. So Paul, we're pressed on every side by troubles, but not crushed and broken. We are perplexed, and here it is. We are perplexed because we don't know why things happen as they do. I love this statement. It's so brutally authentic. So brilliantly wonderful. I don't know what's going on, but I am going. But we don't give up and quit. We do not give up and quit. 
That is not a choice. And that's why we need each other. We need to help each other. We need to be each other's brothers and sisters to keep going. We need to be like a military unit. Keep marching in the same direction. Keep building the kingdom of God no matter what. Even if we don't know what's going on. We know this much is true. We are called to disciple the world. We are called to be world changers. World changers. That's what we're doing. And then he goes on, he says, we are hunted down, but God never abandons us. We get knocked down, but we get up again. And we keep what? We keep on going. Now, let me read to you the end of, of uh, Jordan's story. Let me, let me just read the, the end of this story. It's, it's a great story. And I, I want to just encourage you right now. This is years of prayer, years of struggle. Now, and I've read you the first part. Here's the rest of the story. Newton's third law states that for every action, there's an equal opposite reaction. The only reaction to disappointment is faith. Faith was the foundation this journey was built upon. It's difficult to see the way God reveals his presence to us. It's even more difficult to see the way God reveals his presence to us when disappointment has become a constant. Maybe that's you. This journey has a happy ending, though. A month ago, now this is like literally five weeks ago now, because uh, Jordan, you know, I know him, right? So, <laughs> like a month ago, I was diagnosed, after years, I was diagnosed of a rare genetic condition known as hereditary hemochromatosis. I had never heard of this diagnosis before. Hemochromatosis, hereditary hemochromatosis, a condition in which my body absorbs too much iron. What? Remember all the symptoms, arthritis, chronic pain, cane, he's walking around with a cane, look, look like an old man. Um, anyway, uh, my body absorbs too much iron, a condition for which the treatment is merely donating blood. This is crazy. That's the treatment for it. Bloodletting. <laughs> oh my gosh. Now he can't, nobody can use his blood yet. It has to be like five months from now before people can use his blood. But it's so, so God, right? <laughs> Amazing. Anyway, uh, I've started back up the mountain from the valley and have been able to see all the areas in which God was present. Remember? Seeing. All the areas in which God was present. People joke that God must have a sense of humor because he created the platypus. But I find more humor in the ways we don't even realize God is present. A rheumatologist who refused to let me fall through the cracks of the medical system. A psychiatrist who refused to let me give up the fight. A selfless wife who lightened my burden by carrying it with me. A family who never gave up hope. A church that embraced me with open arms. A mentor who pre prevented me from giving up the life I had placed on hold. The only primary care doctor available for an appointment who ordered the labs that led to the diagnosis. And students, because he's a teacher, who spend, spent every day finding ways to help me in an effort to reduce the physical load at at my work. Now that is Jordan's God story. What's yours? Remember, it's your superpower. It's your superpower.
Now, Jordan has developed his God story because when I began working with him, I began teaching him his God story. Like, how do you use your God story? You know, how do you, how do you deliver it? How do you, you know, where do you deliver it? Like, all kinds of things. I turned him to, taught him to turn every hospital visit or doctor visit into a missional event. I taught him how to, how to use his pain. His pain is his strength, actually. People want to know. Not, not so, I mean, people love this story. I'm sure you love this story, but, but honestly, it's in the time between the times oftentimes that there's an enormous power. But you also have to see the miracles of God and experience the miracles of God, the hopes that you're waiting on. You, you need to experience them so that you then have that story. And sometimes God is waiting for you to get ready to use your story, which is actually his story, before he brings you the deliverance that you're actually asking for. And he'll bring it often in a way that you do not expect. And you don't even want it that way. But he's waiting for you and I to collaborate with him, to actually be a child of God, walk as a child of God, and be the people of God for him on this earth, this broken, busted, sinful place we call earth. More specifically, we call San Diego. More specifically, that we call whatever your street is. So this exercise, I challenge you, I dare you, through this Christmas season, to pray more deeply to pull into wisdom more uh, clearly and to listen well for the words of God because they will come to you, I promise you. God's speaking to you right now. He's saying things to you through the words that I'm saying and the passages and whatever. He's speaking to you right now. So let's bow our heads and pray together. So Lord, I do pray for all of us that we will press in to prayer. We'll press into worship. We'll press into your scripture. We'll press into our godly friends and, and get wisdom, Lord. Help us to hear from you. We'll start using our stories, Lord. We, we live in a time right now that the whole world hears the Christmas songs. The whole world turns their eyes toward Bethlehem. The whole world turns their eyes toward Israel. And Israel is in such a terrible state right now, being at war and all the amazing, terrible, crushing things that are happening, Lord. We pray for your peace in Israel. We pray, Lord, that your kingdom will come there and your will will be done there as it is in heaven. We pray for our lives and what we're doing and what we're struggling with. Lord, that you would speak, that you would heal, that you would bring the life to us, the kingdom life, Lord. For those of us who don't have a relationship with you, Lord, we, we just confess our sins to you, Lord. We, we just ask you, come in, Lord. Bring us fresh forgiveness. Draw us close again, or maybe for the first time. And, and Lord, we, we'll give you ourselves. We'll give you everything about us. Help us to go through this season, Lord, missionally and purposefully, so that as we turn the page into the next year, God, it'll be a totally new experience for us. We know that's what you have for us as a church. You always do. But we are the church. We are little parts of the whole. So be that in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What? We gave you 35 minutes back then. Oh. Yeah. So that was 42? Yeah. Sorry. <laughs>